So uh, this week in our study, in our reading together God's word, hopefully you take this seriously and you're still doing it. But um, we, we read through the first five chapters of Acts this week. And there's so, <laughs> there's so much good stuff in, in, in Acts 1 through 5. But we got, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> People dropping dead in church. Now that's a good sermon, I'm telling you. But I, I won't be preaching on that today. And then, you know, gosh, when Jesus um, ascending, promising the, uh, the gift from God, oh, that would be a good one too. Uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about it. Or we, we could talk about Peter and John in the temple healing a, a beggar who, who has been needing healing his entire life. And he gets healed. He gets up, walk around, jumping around, causing a stir. Yeah, we won't be doing that one either. Today, we're going to be talking, we're going to be diving into a complete chapter, Acts 2. And the title of this sermon today is, Why We Do What We Do. See, if you've never been experienced, experiencing church in any way, shape, or form, you don't know about Jesus, and you get invited into a church, some of you have been raised in the church, and you sort of think, oh, everything just goes, this is the way we do it. It's good to figure out why we do what we do. Because if, if you've never been to a church, come here, you're going to see some really strange things. You know, today there were people passing out this little cup with a, what looked like a little round sponge. And it kind of tastes like grape juice. What is that all about? Or what is, what is that up there? Is that, is that a big hot tub? What, what's, what's all this about? I mean, if you've never been exposed to church, there's some some questions like, these people are a little strange. I mean, it doesn't seem strange to us. And people say Christianese words and we talk about stuff. Well, I think if we look and relook at Acts chapter 2, I think we can see the things that we do that identify ourselves as Christians are based on Scripture. In Heights Christian Church, we are a restoration church. And our, our idea of a restoration church is that we look at the scriptures and we do it. That's what we do. We, everything we do should be based on the scriptures and the Bible. Okay, And so here's, here's full disclosure what we're going to do. I'm going to divide Acts 2 into three sections. And in each section, I'm going to point out three things. So three times three it's nine. So you've got nine things. You can plan your notes right now. Okay? Three times three. Did I go out again? Oh, okay. All right, here we go. So let's read Acts 2. Let's start with reading of Acts 2. But let me set the stage here before you do it. Some of you have not read. And so in Acts 1, we have Jesus ascending. And then Peter saying, hey, we need to... We need a 12th disciple, okay? Because Judas killed himself. And Jeremy did a great job last week talking about Judas. And, and, and we have Peter, right? Who he sort of threw Jesus under the bus during a time too. 
And so Jesus says, hey, listen, don't go anywhere yet until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit from God. Okay? So we have Pentecost. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts of Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. We will stop right here. Okay. We'll stop at the wine. Three things I want to tell you about this so far. Remember, Jesus told them to wait in Acts chapter 1 till the coming of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's exactly what they were doing. We think there's about 100, 120. Most of them from Galilee were hanging out in Jerusalem. And... and um, the thing that's interesting when Luke is telling this passage Luke is not so concerned with where they are but when when this happens and this part opens up with the idea that it's Pentecost okay Pentecost is a time if you look in, in the Old Testament this was the time of first fruits Jesus uh, I'm sorry, God told him on the mountain that there was going to be a time, three times in the year, when the men have to go to the temple, okay? And one of them is the 50 weeks after the Passover. There will be 49 Sabbaths plus the day after it. So it's 50. That's where we get Pente, Pentecost, 50 days. So it's Passover, and then during the harvest, during Pentecost, you're supposed to bring the first fruits. And by the time Jesus' day comes around, not only do they talk about the first fruits, but it's also the remembrance of when God gave the law. Okay, this is the time when um, the Jews celebrated that God gave them the word. Okay, so it's very interesting that in Pentecost, then the promised gift of God and the first fruits of the church come about and they receive a gift from God and that's the Holy Spirit. 
So why were there so many people in Jerusalem? Jews from all over the world, they were supposed to show up at the temple three times. This was one where Jews traveled to be in Jerusalem. So there are Jews from all over, and they have their own native languages. That's why they're all hearing this. By the way, that's the first thing. The second thing is that this is indeed fulfilled prophecy. The fulfilled prophecy of none other than John the Baptist. Do you remember when John was baptizing in the wilderness and he was telling him, you need to repent? And he says, I'm preparing the way of the Lord. He, he says, they said, hey, wait, wait, are you the Messiah? He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah. I'm just preparing the way of the Messiah. In fact, I'm baptizing you with water he will baptize you with fire. This is the fulfillment of a prophecy. Was John the Baptist a prophet? Absolutely, because what he said came true. And that's the mark of a true prophet. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 3, verses 15 and 16... It says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more poor, more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Boom, it happened. Whew. And so you have all of these Galileans, followers in a sect of this Jesus of Nazareth. Everybody hears this wind blowing, and they all go to figure out what's going on. And they see a bunch of guys, like tongues of fire over them, and they begin speaking languages from all over the world. It's interesting to think about that. It says from all over the world. Can I tell you that this is a reversal from way back in Genesis at the Tower of Babel, right? When people can't understand themselves because everybody's speaking different languages and God causes them to disperse. Now Jesus comes, he sets it right, he sets up his kingdom. And now people are able to understand the greatness of God in their own language. The Tower of Babel has been stopped at this point. Now, if that doesn't get you fired up, nothing will. And also signals a change from receiving the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon a few people and they begin to do things. Saul, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He begins prophesying with all the prophets and the Holy Spirit came in the Old Testament at times for people. We, we have Samson. The Holy Spirit comes on him. He slays a bunch of people. Or the Holy Spirit coming in different places. We have leaders coming on in the Holy Spirit. But now with signal change in through who receives the Holy Spirit. From special people to everyone who follows Jesus. All the disciples 
not just the 12. All the disciples received the Holy Spirit. All 120 or around that number. Not just the leaders, not just the men, the women too. That was amazing. Okay, let's go to the second part. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, and he's quoting Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams. Your old men will dream will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord sit at my Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this is our second section here. There's some scripture being thrown out, some Old Testament scripture. Here's Peter. He's a changed man. As I said before, like Jesus, like Judas, he betrayed Jesus. Not, not once, but three times. Because he feared to be associated with him. Remember, his statement was to the people that said, Hey, you were with him. Ah, I don't even know the man. Right? This is, this is a man who was afraid of a little servant girl by the fire. As Jesus is being put to trial by the Sanhedrin. He's scared of a little girl. And now there are people from all over the world. And they want to know what's going on. And he stands up. And he says, men, people, let me tell you about Jesus. He was changed. This is, he is a changed man. He's a man who's afraid and scared and doesn't know what to do to being bold and throwing out Scripture and explaining it to Jews who have known Scripture their whole life. He's able to share with them what the Scripture said about Jesus. He mentions these three Scriptures. Joel, chapter 2, 28 through 32. Psalm 16, 8 through 11. And Psalm 110, 1. Not only that, does he share the scriptures about Jesus, that he is the promised Messiah, but he says, we are witnesses. He's giving eyewitness testimony that the man Jesus who you all know was nailed to a cross and was killed the grave couldn't hold him he rose from the dead he's still living he is bold enough listen there's one thing to say things that you think are true other things that people are like what that's never happened before people die people die Jesus the death that death couldn't hold him and he rose from the dead. He's still living. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I have eyewitness for it. Huh. That's amazing stuff. And number three, Peter gives the people there the solution to their problem. They may not have known they had a problem, but they had a problem. They have a problem because they're sinful and that they were part and parcel to the killing of Jesus on the cross because they sinned. And Jesus died for all sin. And so these people who are hearing this, the Holy Spirit hits them, cuts them to the quick, and they ask, what do we do? You've told me my problem. What do I do? 
here. I think three things are important. One, he says to call on the name of the Lord. And by the way, when the mention of Joel in the name of the Lord, it's again, Lord is capital L-O-R-D. This is the actual name of God, Yahweh. To call on the name of Yahweh. Those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Second thing he says, repent. You need to turn from your sin. You need to turn in your disobedience to God. Remember, you, you've certainly heard the stuff like, repent. The word repent is to turn completely around and go the other way. So, if you're in sin and you're going away from God, you're not obeying Him, you're disobeying Him, and repenting is turning to God and doing what He says. That's repentance. And then following through your repentance in obedience to baptism. You're asking to be baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is a public confession that you identify yourself like with Christ. You're identifying yourself that you are dying with Christ. Yourself are dying with Christ so that you too can be raised from the dead because of your association with Jesus. It's Jesus who does the work. It's your association with him is what brings about your salvation. It's nothing you do. Peter succinctly shows it to the people. This is what you need to do. And you know what? 3,000 people did it. You have 120 Galileans kind of hanging around. We, we believe from the, the letters of Paul, there's about 500 people who knew that Jesus had returned, that he rose from the dead, and he revealed himself to them. So the We'll just say 500 people and said, hey, Jesus is God because he rose from the dead, right? It went from 500 to 3,500 one afternoon. That's, that's an explosion. So we have anywhere between 3,000 and 3,500 people, 3,150, if you're thinking about it, are kind of, what do they do now? Because their whole world has changed. What do they do? And that's what the rest of Acts chapter 2 is all about. Starting in 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's the end of Acts chapter 2. Three things of note here. Number one, as a result of them coming together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
the apostles' teaching was based on Scripture. Now, how, how did they know what the Scriptures say about Jesus? Because a few weeks ago, they missed it. They thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah, to kick the Romans out. They completely missed it. And now all of a sudden, they know what the Scriptures say about Jesus. Remember Acts? Before Acts, we got to Luke. Luke Acts, Luke Acts. Luke knows what he wrote. Remember Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus? Remember? I'll set the scene there. There's two guys there. Hey, we're going to go to Emmaus. Oh, we're kind of sad at what's going on. And the guy comes alongside him. Hey, what's going on? Have, have you not been to Jerusalem? Oh, my gosh. They, we, had, we thought this guy was going to be the Messiah, and then the Romans killed him. And then we've heard these things about he's resurrected. And boy, this is strange. We don't know what's going on. This guy with him says, well, let me tell you what all about it. In fact, let's go to Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. And this is Jesus talking to the guys, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, we'll talk about the law here, Torah, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So, they're listening to all this. They just get a first class teaching from the Lord of heaven and earth. And they say, hey, 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 don't leave. Let's have something to eat. And as soon as he breaks bread, they go, it's Jesus! And he disappears. And the first thing they do, after all day traveling to Emmaus, seven miles, they turn around and go back to the upper room where everybody's hanging out, distraught. That's where they got the teaching. That's where they got the new news, the revelation. And Jesus revealed it to them. And then we have the Holy Spirit teaching the people of the scriptures. And so they devoted themselves to scripture. And then it says, to the breaking of bread. The, the breaking of bread? That's communion. They remembered what Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me. What? They said, well, that could just be breaking bread, just be eating. No, because in this passage, they talk about the breaking of bread, and they eat in their own home. Okay, two separate things. The breaking of bread, I believe, is communion. They, they decide to do communion. And they're devoting to prayer together. They're praying to God. Those three things, you can see... The believers got together to help one another with their needs. This is the second thing. It says that they sold property and that they shared the people in need. Now, this don't get this wrong. This isn't socialism. This isn't communism. They didn't sell all their possessions. They sold possessions as there was need. Okay? And they to help other along. What they're showing here is that my concern for others who are in need are more important than me acquiring wealth or getting more wealth. Okay? 
and the third they were intentional about getting together in each other's homes and had meals together and as they did these things all of these things devoting themselves to the apostles teaching the breaking of the bread the getting together the sharing in the needs of people the praying the going into people's homes and fellowshipping together all of that it says brought people outside the faith into the faith and their numbers were growing okay that's what brought people into fellowship with them for their community so here we go why do we do some of the things that we do here at Heights Christian Church why why do we have communion every week because we want to remember and Jesus said do this remembrance of me and we do we do it every week because we want to remember what Christ did for us why do we keep this thing full of water? Well, we don't always keep it in water, but we clean it at times. We do. And so, but we're ready for baptism for anybody who wants to say, I want to be baptized. I want to be identified with Jesus. I don't think we do it near enough, but it's happening and it's available. All right. We have fellowship on opportunities. Why do you guys always get together? Why do you guys want to share a meal together? the Bible says we do it. And we should do it. And we are doing the same thing that people, Christians, have been doing for millennia. Guys, this week, we shared of many of our things and we gave to people who are in need. I mean, we just, what did Jeremy talk about? The military Bible sticks, the Operation Christmas Child, the turkey boxes. I mean, we are always about giving. I mean, I'll tell you, every time we identify that there's a need in our church, this church helps. I'm so proud of you guys. I'm, I'm proud to know you guys because you guys are doing that all the time. And guess what? That's a heritage of what the first believers did. You guys are part of that same heritage. And you guys are doing it. We devote times of prayer. Wait, what? Yeah. Did you know every Thursday, men get together and pray? We pray. Even with the whole pandemic and everything else, we've been meeting. We've been praying. And it is something special, guys. I love it. We First, first of every month on Wednesdays, Dave and Elizabeth get together. We have prayer for that time. We pray all the time. I mean, how much is too much prayer? We have life groups. Our life groups are trying to be intentional of living together, of sharing our lives with one another. How can we help somebody if we don't know there's a need? So we should be sharing. We do it. We're intentionally. Hey, I'm coming to your house today. Sit in your living room. Let's talk about things. Well, might bring up a little some Bible things. Look, hey guys, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. What can we do to help you? How often does that happen in this congregation? 
often. And I can see, I can tell you, we all have a friend. If you don't have a friend, get in a life group. Be a part and intentional of stepping out and saying, I want to be a part of a group of believers. Because it's biblical. Acts 2. And because if we do all this, we naturally are going to be attracted to people of this outside the faith. I've, I've seen it happen too, too many times. What have you got that I haven't got? What is going on? I'm struggling too. What's going on with this? How come you have people that care for you and do those things? Jesus? We, just in, in me talking to you, I try to model my apostles' teaching with you guys just the way Jesus does. You guys hear me. Every, I start off almost every sermon reading scripture first. Because I think God's word first. Me, second, maybe. Because that's what Peter did. I'm trying to model after what happened at the beginning. Why do, why do we have this? Why do we call you guys to prayer? Why do we call you guys? Hey, get into a life group. Because this is what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. We find it in scripture. We should do it. And it works. How do I know it works? This church hasn't died out. Not mean this church. The church of Jesus Christ has been going full steam for 2,000 years. It's still going. Why? Because that's not us. It's the Holy Spirit living in us. And we are continually going down this road. Do we mess up? Do we screw up? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what? Who doesn't screw up? Jesus. And he works through us. To give people hope. Give people an opportunity. To live with the creator of the world forever. That's an amazing opportunity for us. Listen, there are, there are so many people in this congregation that you need to get to know, you need to spend some time with. Be intentional. Especially in a week like this, for Thanksgiving, where we set aside time. You know, as Christians that started Thanksgiving here in the U.S., we said we need to thank God. And so we need to thank God. We need to be thankful. Paul in Romans chapter 1 says the thing that separates between people of faith and people that don't is they do. It says that the people of faith or the, the people that don't have people of faith, it's a negative example. He says they don't acknowledge God as God or give him thanks. So this week, I want you to acknowledge God as God and give him thanks. Please. You know, one of the interesting things is um, the road to Emmaus and the people, the guys that um, heard and they shared with the rest of, the, of um, the disciples what Jesus had said in his teaching from the scriptures. 
you know Mark Weston, he loves to teach. He's he's got a he's got a teaching a group of teachings that he's done that shows that Jesus is the Messiah strictly from the Old Testament scriptures. You should you should get with him. He could you can do it online. You can do it you know if you don't want to be in his face, or you can be in his face. He's a good teacher, and he loves to do it. Guys, won't you stand? Acts 2 is where it started. It's where the church began. And we're still the church. 2,000 years later. Can you imagine? Can you look back and see, as a believer of Jesus Christ, someone told you about Jesus, who told someone else told them about Jesus, about them. You're part of this lineage that has gone through the ages grateful for them and their obedience if I could just be like that too Father God I come before you help me to be a worthy believer to be one who follows in your footsteps in the footsteps of your believer of your fellow believers back then as Peter said in his first sermon, this is for you, for your children, and for all of those far off whom God will call. Thank you for calling me, Lord. I answered that call because of you. Help us to tell others so they too can answer your call. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.